chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, Jesus said, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The New King James uses the phrase at the end of Acts 1 and 8, to the end of the earth. New International Version, ends of the earth. I'm choosing to call this message, to the ends of the earth. That seems to be the most common expression, Old Testament and modern day expression of a place that's at an extreme. So I want to preach to you with the help of the Lord, to the ends of the earth. Of the earth. God bless you. Please be seated. The scripture I read, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is a great commission verse. Jesus speaking immediately before he ascends into heaven. And then Acts chapter 2, the Spirit is received on the birthday of the church, the day of Pentecost. And the book of Acts begins to unfold 28 chapters of the historical record of the early church, the expansion of the church, the reach of the gospel going everywhere to reach everyone. I want to recap the gospel records of this, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go ye therefore, because he has all power, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name. I'm glad I know the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Ghost, is Jesus. Amen. Come in his Father's name. The Spirit he sends in his name. Certainly the Son is Jesus. Amen. I'm glad I know that all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily, and we are complete in him. I'm glad to know that we are buried with him, not then we're buried with him by baptism into death. <clears throat> Verse 20, teaching them. To observe all things whatsoever, I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Mark 16, 15, parallel passage. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature, every created person. The various translations hold up this word, creature, every person, regardless of who they are. He that believeth. And is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned or condemned. Luke chapter 24, verse 46. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses. Of these things. John 20, 21. Jesus has his disciples gathered close. And he said, as my father has sent me, even so, or in the same way, so send I you. Jesus commanded his disciples to go everywhere and tell everyone the good news. And we need this good news of salvation because of the bad news of sin. The Bible is very clear. Romans 3.23, for all 
have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not just a few, but all have sinned. Romans 3, 623. For the wages of sin is death. Spiritual death, physical death, and ultimately eternal death is to be eternally separated from the presence of God in torments in a burning lake of fire. We're all sinners. The wages of sin is the separation of death. But then Romans 5 and 8, but God commendeth or demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And thank God we know how to be saved. On that birthday of the church, when the Spirit of God was poured out, and people asked what this meant, the Apostle Peter, who had been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, stood up, the other 11 apostles standing with him. He said to them in Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, turn away from your sins, make an about face, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. It is repentance joined with baptism that brings the removal or the remission of sins. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I want to take a poll here today. How many of you have received the gift of the Holy Ghost like they did on the book of Acts with the evidence of speaking in a language you never learned? Would you just raise your hand or show some witness here today that it happened to you? Amen. I'm thankful for salvation. Now, there are some specific instructions to each of these gospel accounts and acts of the Great Commission. In Matthew, Jesus said, go. Now, I know in Acts 2, God brought the world to the church. But that is not the model or the mandate. The mandate is to go. We go there. Sometimes people find us online or they drive by the church and they feel compelled to come in. But that coming is a result of us going by social media, by our website, by our prayers, by our testimony. Amen. When the world comes to the church, we're thankful. But Jesus said to go. And then he said to teach all nations. Not some nations. It's not exclusive to a few people. It's inclusive of Everyone, teach all nations. And then baptize them. Water, baptize them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they'll be baptized with the Spirit. John the Baptist said, I'm baptizing you with water. But there's one coming after me. He's mightier than I. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen. Then Matthew, Jesus said, you teach them how to be saved, and once they're saved, then I want you to teach them everything I've commanded you. Teach them how to live. Evangelism and discipleship, that's God's plan. Go everywhere, tell everyone how to be saved. Bring them to Jesus, and when you do, teach them how to live for Jesus 
so they can go to heaven and not go to hell. The mission of our church is to lead lost people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and then develop them into fully devoted followers of him. After Jesus gave this commission, he told them that he would be with them always, even to the end of the earth. Now, Mark said a similar thing. Go, all the world, preach the gospel, every creature. Believing is here tied with baptism. If you believe and are baptized, you will be saved. If you do not believe, you will not be baptized, and you will be damned, the King James says, or condemned. In Luke, Jesus is recorded as saying that his name Repentance and remission of sins is going to be preached in his name among all nations. Not just the nation of Israel, but all nations, everyone, everywhere. It starts in Jerusalem, that hometown of the gospel, but it doesn't end there. In John, Jesus speaks to his disciples and he, he breathes on them, tells them to receive the Holy Ghost. And says, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. When Jesus says this recorded by Luke in the book of Acts, he said, you're going to receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You won't get this power before, but you will get it after. The word in the original Greek here is dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. When you receive the Holy Ghost, it is power to live right, walk right, talk right, all of that. But here, it is power to witness. It is power to tell the gospel and then demonstrate the power of the gospel with miracles and signs and wonders. There are going to be witnesses everywhere. It will start in Jerusalem, the city. It will spread to the province of Judea, the size of a county but a counterpart to our state. It's going to go to Samaria, a neighboring province, and then it's going to go to the entire world, everyone, everywhere, to the ends of the earth. And that is what happened in the book of Acts. Now, it's amazing to me that with all the commissioning, there's also a promise. In Matthew, Jesus says, go, and he said, I'll go with you. In Mark, he said, when you go, I'm going to send some signs with you. These signs shall follow them that believe. You will cast out devils. You'll speak in tongues. You'll take up serpents. If you accidentally drink something deadly, it will not harm you. And the serpents, by the way, are not intentional either. It is accidental. You're at a Pentecostal church, but we don't handle snakes, and neither should you. It's not a form of worship, just in case you're wondering. Sometimes I jokingly say we keep them in the baptistry when people have asked me that through the years, but we don't handle snakes on purpose. Amen. You're going to lay hands on the sick, Jesus said, and they shall recover. That's our promise. That's our power. You're to go, but he will go with you. In Luke, he said, 
I'm going to send this promise upon you. You're going to be endued or filled with power from on high. So Jesus didn't just give you this mandate to go without giving you the power to go. And in John, he told them after he said, even so send I you, he breathed on them there and said, receive you the Holy Ghost. That was the power. And in Acts, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Now in the military, they use a phrase that is called the tip of the spear. The tip of the spear is piercing to the most difficult place possible. And in the military, all the resources flow to the tip of the spear. And in God's kingdom, in God's army, I believe that his greatest resources flow to the tip of the spear. The resources flow where there's lost people, where there's a need for a miracle. It doesn't all happen in here where we're all saved. It happens out there where they're not. Amen. You can count on God resourcing you as you go to the tip of the spear and you pierce to the darkness of sin. Jesus says these words, he ascends into heaven. The Spirit comes back, and they go everywhere telling everyone. First only at Jerusalem, and then Judea, the province, and, and then in Acts 8, Samaria, and then in Acts 10, Gentiles, and there's a, a shift from Jerusalem to the rest of the world. From Acts 10 to Acts 28, there's this gradual movement away from Jerusalem, the hub, and toward the ends of the earth, from Jerusalem to Rome, breaking barriers that are geographical, racial, religious, breaking through to people, overcoming obstacles of persecution from the outside, and hypocrisy on the inside. Nothing can stop the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ as it goes to the ends of the earth. That is God's plan. It goes to the entire Roman Empire where Paul appeals to Augustus himself, the emperor of the world. And it's interesting when you read back there that the Roman Empire at its peak only reached about 4% of the entire earth's land masses. In that day, 4% of the, of the real world, geographical world, was what the Roman Empire covered. Now, what about the other 96%, much of which has been populated since then? The population of the world in the times of the early church, in the days of Jesus Christ, is estimated to have been about 300 million people. And for 1,000 years, the population of the earth changed very little. It was still at about 300 million people. The population of planet earth only reached a billion in 1804, best estimate I can find. Our population grew to 3 billion in 1960, to 6.8 billion in 2010, and now in 2022, 
it is estimated, the population of the world is estimated to be 8 billion people. Now, when Jesus spoke these words about the ends of the earth to 4% of the world populated, to 300 million people, Jesus knew. Jesus was God in flesh. He knew that in 2022, there would be 8 billion people. Jesus did not just die for the 300 million. He died for the 8 billion people that populate our world today. For God so loved the world then, and God still loves the world now. This gospel message, this message of salvation, it wasn't just a Jewish message. They had to break through that. It wasn't certainly a European message. They were not even European. It's certainly not an American message. It came here. It didn't originate here. This message is for the rich and the poor. And God has chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith. This gospel is for the educated and it is for the ignorant. It is for the haves and the haves not, have nots. It is for everyone of every culture, tribe, kindred, tongue, nation, people, everyone, everywhere. It's for every one of the 6,800 language groups of people all over this world. This gospel is for everyone. It is estimated that there are 4,300 religions in the world. But about 75% of the world's population practices one of the five more influential and religions in the world, not always largest. Buddhism, Christianity, Hinduism, Islam, and Judaism. These five major world religions, and that can be debated, but I went with five instead of seven or another number. Christianity, about 31% of the people of the world call themselves Christians, 2.4 billion. Our country may have the highest number of practicing Christians, maybe one other country that I'll mention later, 253 million people. Brazil, 185 million. Mexico, 118 Christians all over the world. There are about 25% of the world's population who call themselves Muslim. 15.2% Hindus, 6.6% Buddhist, 0.2% Judaism, but in its influence, it is vast. And then there are folk religions. About 6% or 429 million people of our world are, are all kind of folk religions. It could be African traditional religions, Chinese folk religions, Native American, Australian, Aboriginal religions, and other religions around the world. Now, this gospel, though, says that there is one gospel for everybody in the world. Our organization with which we're affiliated, the United Pentecostal Church, has as its purpose statement, the whole gospel, not part of it, but the whole gospel to the whole world by, not the missionaries, but by the whole church. 
We give, but we're not exempt from going just because we give. Now, we should, and I pray we do, love everybody in the world regardless of their religious beliefs. And we respect people for their sincerely held religious beliefs. However, having a sincerely held religious belief will not save you. If you live up north and it's winter and the lake is frozen over and you sincerely believe that the lake will hold the weight of your body when you walk out on the ice, it is not your sincerity that will hold you up. It is the thickness of the ice. It takes sincerity and truth. You should be sincere. We must be sincere. But you need to have your sincerity rooted in truth that will save your soul from hell. It takes both to save you. The reason I'm saying that is just because a person is a sincere Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or Jew or whatever else or a Christian that hasn't come into full truth. We love them. We thank God for what they believe sincerely, but you don't get a pass because you are sincere. You go to heaven because you obey the gospel in sincerity and truth. Amen. There is one gospel for the whole world. This message is to go to the ends of the earth. John, the apostle John wrote in 1 John 2, 2, referring to Jesus, and he is a propitiation. That's a big theological word that means the atoning sacrifice. It's what Calvary was. He is a propitiation for our sins. Aren't you glad about that? And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Everyone, everywhere, regardless of who they are or what they believe, this gospel, the blood of Jesus Christ, can cover their sins. There is one gospel for the entire world. The apostle Peter declared in Acts 4 and 12, neither is there salvation in any other. He's talking about Jesus. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Thank God that somebody's doing all they know, but it's our responsibility to tell them what something that they can know that can save them, to get them out of error and heresy and false religion and humanism and to bring them out of darkness and into light so that they can know Jesus and go to heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, not them, not anyone else, but that the world through him might be saved. Now I know for many of you, this is old news, but it is still the best news. A lost person ever heard. You can be forgiven of every sin you've ever committed. And condemnation will lift 
off your life when Jesus sets you free. You can be delivered from any vice that binds you. There is no substance. There is nothing, whether it is physical, psychological, emotional, there is nothing that can keep Jesus from making you free. Whom the Son has made free is free indeed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Your life can be restored. Love can replace hate. And you can escape hell and enjoy the pleasures of heaven forever and ever and ever. This gospel works for everyone, everywhere, to the ends of the earth. Now, just what does that mean, to the ends of the earth? That phrase appears in the Bible 46 times throughout the scripture. Moses, Hannah, Job, Elihu, David, the psalmist, Solomon, other writers of Proverbs and Psalms have used this phrase, to the ends of the earth. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, Zechariah, even the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar used the words, the phrase, the ends of the earth. Isaiah in the Old Testament, that silver-tongued orator prophet, used this phrase a dozen times in his 66-chapter book. It referred to distant nations. It talked about worldwide judgment coming to the ends of the earth. It spoke of Jewish restoration from Babylon at the ends of the earth. Ultimately, it speaks of God coming in flesh and his mighty saving power, his far-reaching work. Amen. Jeremiah uses this phrase eight times of Babylon, restoration of Gentiles coming to the Lord. Paul quotes it twice. Jesus used this phrase in Acts 1 and 8. It was his commission to the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. Now, to us, the ends of the earth are reached when we do not have a phone signal. There are no bars on your phone. You can't get out, and they can't get in, or when you're stuck with no internet service. The ends of the earth. A first world crisis. Recently, I had the opportunity to take a really long trip. I've made it twice before. Uh, the airline said it was 8,434 miles, 15 hours and 15 minutes, nonstop from Atlanta to Johannesburg, South Africa. You might think that's the ends of the earth. I was writing the article that was the, the framework for this message as I was traveling. And I finished it, and I looked down at my flight tracker. We were at 41,036 feet and above the Kalahari Desert when I pushed send on my Delta Internet and sent the article back here. Now, you might think the Kalahari Desert is the ends of the earth. I thought it was pretty cool that I could send an article from there to here. But in the Bible, the ends of the earth can refer to geographical extremities, a place that is distant, remote, way out there in the boondocks, we might say. In biblical times, as well as now, 
It can refer to remote places that are difficult to access. Back then, you couldn't take a ship there. You couldn't take a cart there. You might have been fortunate to be able to walk there. It's not just where it is. It's the implications of where it is and how remote those people may be from being reached by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Places where there is a lack of contact or communication. Nobody could get there. That's the ends of the earth. It was Isaiah, though, that gave us hope in Isaiah 45 when he spoke to all those people who were out there somewhere, remote geographically, removed culturally, isolated religiously, when Isaiah said, this is the Lord speaking to through him, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. There is not another religion that can save you, but there is a Jesus. There is a God who came to earth. And no matter how remote, no matter how removed, no matter how isolated or cut off, this gospel is for everyone, everywhere, to the ends of the earth. I was curious, what, what are the ends of the earth today? I read several articles, but one said the most primitive people that live in the most isolated regions on our planet today live in countries, there may be more, but name several, Papua New Guinea, India, Venezuela, Peru, and Paraguay. India, there's a group of people they're called the Sentinelese. They live on the North Sentinel Island in the Bay of Bengal, India. They're intensely reclusive. They're known to respond violently to visitors who try to come to their island. They are frequently dubbed the most isolated people in the world. We're calling them the Sentinelese, but we don't know what they call themselves. No one's ever been able to find out. We don't know their language because they're not talking. And even the other tribes, Andaman tribes, that are on neighboring islands related to them, they know very little about these remote people. There's something like 50 to 200 of them. They live hunter-gatherer lives. They make canoes for fishing and crabbing, and they hunt game with small bows, with bows and arrows and spears. Since the 1950s, the Indian government has declared this island off-limits, strictly prohibits visitors from going them. They don't want you to take them a disease. They don't want them to give you an arrow. Because they have. 2018, a bold American missionary traveled there he was killed soon after he landed. They don't want to know. They want you to go somewhere else. They live at the ends of the earth. There are also places in our world today, in our organization, we call them access-challenged nations. You could get there, but you can't get there. You can go there for a vacation. You can go there for business. But you can't go there 
with the purpose of evangelizing lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is trying to be shut out by the government who prohibits us from coming. Some organizations call these creative access nations, meaning you can't get there, but you can get there if you find a creative way to get in. There's a higher law. There's a greater mandate than the law of any nation. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go to the ends of the earth. We are not exempt from taking the gospel to hard places or hard people just because it's not easy. They are still lost without the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today I wanted to pause and applaud the fearless men and women who are not afraid to go to places that we might call the ends of the earth because the love of God for them has become the love of God in them and they're willing to walk away from everything here to go there. We ought to thank the heroes of the church, the missionaries that go take the gospel to an unchurched region. Amen. They're amazing stories. They're told generically at times. Communist China is like the ends of the earth. 1.4 billion people. We're not supposed to go there. But it's too late. The church is already there. There are estimates. There are 234 million Christians in China. I've read everything from 36 to 234 and all kind of numbers in between. Christians in China, communist China, already outnumber members of the Chinese Communist Party. But still, they're only 20% of the 1.4 billion people. They are at the ends of the earth. They're hard to reach. They're not so much miles away, but they are worlds away. But today, I want to help you think I'm trying to think better and do better that the ends of the earth might not be 10,000 miles away. It may be next door. Maybe a person that doesn't speak your language, doesn't look like you, seems to have a giant barrier up that says no trespassing if you try to get in here got an arrow of sorts waiting for you here. No trespassing into my life. But the gospel can still reach them and should still reach them. Maybe we're just not courageous enough or creative enough. When Jesus met the woman at the well, she had no trespassing signs everywhere, but she was a key to an entire village and then the province of Samaria and a conversation about water led to a conversation about eternal life and she said, come see a man who told me all the sins I've done is not this the Christ. You can't get through. I want to 
want to tell you a story that's happening in the state of Alaska. Alaska is a good example of a place that is at the ends of the earth, twice the size of Texas. Take that, Texas. Alaska only has 12 numbered highways. Half of the public roads are not paved at all. In the permafrost and frozen, they would, they would kind of come apart, so they're unpaved. Bordered by two oceans, three seas, 3,000 rivers, about 3 million lakes, give or take 100,000 or so. There's a lot of boats in Alaska. Sea plains abound. Much of the year it's frozen. You can't get in there by a boat or a car, probably not even a, 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 a snow, a ski, whatever that is. I can't think of the word, right? Yeah. I want to say a jet ski, but that wouldn't work in the snow. So you know what they do? They go by air. Only 20% of Alaska is accessible by roads. You can't even get to the capital city of Juneau by a car. So air transportation has become the transportation of choice. But that's not cheap. Last time I checked, airplanes cost quite a bit at times. But an amazing thing happened last week at General Conference. The Youth Ministries Division made an allocation to the state of Alaska. I found out after the first service that our youth pastor, Brother Joel, was on the youth subcommittee that addressed this issue, and he's got more details. But they allocated $200,000 to buy an airplane for one of our missionaries there to fly to the ends of the earth. I think we have a picture of that airplane right there that's going to get the gospel past an iceberg over an ice flow and into a little village. You can't get there easily, but you can get to the ends of the earth if you want to. And I wanted to take a moment to thank this church for your Move the Mission offering this year of $280,000, part of a record $8.3 million given in North America to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. That's our mission. Amen. Our church has been so amazingly generous, so much so that since our last missions conference, our World Missions Fund grew to the place that we decided we need to give some money away in an extraordinary way. So about a month ago, we dispersed $116,000 to mission causes around the world. I had written for information. We gave Money to church planters, the inns in Vancouver, the grants in Quebec. We gave $10,000 to urban missions. We gave money to the country of Kenya so they could build a well. We gave money to Togo so they could buy property. We gave money to Ukraine so they could continue their building program. We gave money to Kazakhstan so they could rent a building for six months. We gave money to the Solomon Islands to keep their building program going. 
We gave money to Vaniwatu. You heard about it last week. So they could buy a new printer to print materials and to fix a ceiling in a main building. We gave money to India so they could work on a Bible college. We gave money to Cambodia to buy rice for their Bible college students for an entire year. And Brother Sean, their regional director, told me at General Conference and in an email, he said they were down to one month of rice when you gave your offering from Atlanta West Pentecostal Church. I want to say thank you for making a difference by your giving. You ought to thank the Lord that we can give and we do give. And while I was saying all that, I just thought, you know, Brother Nate Turner, we can help Estonia too. So you share with Brother John Turner a project need and we're going to help you. We, we want to do more. The Lord told Abraham, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. We're not blessed to be an end user. We're blessed to be a conduit for the blessings of God to help other people. We have money. We have means. We have men and women. But maybe what we lack is the courage or the creativity to close the distance politically, spiritually, and geographically. So today I'm asking you, would you obey the words of Jesus Christ and take the gospel to the ends of the earth? It is really not an option. It is a command. It is a commission. We were saved to serve and to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ.